This is episode 97 of The Word Encounter. Welcome back. Glad that you could join me. Let's continue on where we left off, and so that would be uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 38. And it says in the subtitle, A Prayer of the Suffering Sinner. Sorrow for sin brings hope. God alone is the true source of healing and protection for those who confess their sins to him. In verse 1 of chapter 38, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has pressed, me, has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have flooded over my head. Uh, they are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds uh, are foul and festering because of my foolishness. So here we have an honest man. You know, he's saying, you know, I'm suffering and whatnot. And I'm acknowledging the cause of my suffering is my foolishness. And uh, that, that is a, a template, in my opinion, that other people should follow instead of always looking for somebody else to blame. Verse 16, it says, uh, For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. Verse 18, So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin. Verse 21, Lord, do not abandon me, my God. Do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. And so here we have a case of a man who is recognizing his sin, recognizing that basically it is his fault. And instead of denying that or running away from God, he's running to God, confessing his sin and begging for forgiveness. Let's go into chapter 39. The title says, The Fleeting Nature of Life. Apart from God, life is fleeting and empty. This is an appeal for God's mercy because life is so brief, isn't it, though? Verse 4, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. Now, <laughs> he's asking for the Lord to um, make him aware of the number of his days. I, I don't particularly want to know that <laughs> you know I don't know how many people would want to know what the exact date and time of their death is I know I don't want to know that um, but I think what the author may be saying here or David may be saying here is that uh, Lord make me aware of the briefness of life you know um, give me a degree of wisdom of wisdom with regard to this thing that we call life is relatively short and it goes very very fast and so it says, I think he may be saying, increase my awareness of that. Verse 5, <clears throat> in fact, you have made my days just inches long, and my lifespan is nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands uh, as only a vapor. Yes, a person goes about uh, like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. <laughs> We're going to hit this in another uh, chapter, but, you know... <laughs> gathering possessions after you die you don't know where they're going to go and so he's pointing out the futility of going around gathering possessions because in the end you don't know where they're going to go they may end up with your enemies they, they may be destroyed you have no idea and so we we value these possessions so much but we do not know what is going to happen with them after we pass verse seven now lord 
What do I wait for? My hope is in you. Rescue me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the taunt of fools. In verse 12, hear my prayer, Lord, and answer uh, to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am here with you as an alien, a temporary uh, resident like all my ancestors. Our ancestors are our ancestors because they're no longer alive. And so the author is recognizing that, hey, this thing called life, this thing that we know as of life is temporary. And pretty soon I will be with my ancestors. And so he's saying, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears. For I'm here, but as an alien. <clears throat> Let's go on to chapter 40. And it says, as far as the title is concerned, Thanksgiving and a cry for help. Doing God's will uh, sometimes means waiting patiently. When we wait, we can love God, serve others, and tell others about him. <clears throat> Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. But he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see in fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. <laughs> Verse 9, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. So what it's saying here is like, I didn't keep my faith in you silent, Lord. I proclaimed it. I let people know because I wanted them to know that it was also available for them. So I wasn't selfish in my, uh, in my um, uh, proclaiming of your name and your greatness and who you are. I didn't just keep it to myself. In verse 16, it says, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer, my God. Do not delay. Do not delay, O oh Lord. Let's go into chapter uh, uh, 31. And this is the last chapter in the first book of Psalms. And so, um, verse 41, it says, Victory in spite of betrayal. A prayer for God's mercy when feeling sick or abandoned. When we're sick or when everyone deserts us, God does not leave us. Amen. It says a Psalm of David, uh, verse 1. Happy is, the one, uh, happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. Verse 3. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. Drop down to verse 7. All who hate me whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Something awful has overwhelmed him, uh, and he won't rise up again from where he lies. Even my friend, in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has, has raised his heel against me. Even his friend, he betrayed by his friend. <clears throat> but you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up, then I will repay them. Uh, by this I know that you delight in me. 
My enemy does not shout in triumph over me. You supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. He says, by this, I know that you delight in me, that his enemy does not overwhelm him or doesn't overcome him. He says, by that, it's not by the strength of my hand, it's by that evidence that my enemy has not triumphed over me, that I know you are for me. Because it says, you have supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. And so that concludes uh, the first book of Psalms. And so we're going to continue on and we're going to open the second book in chapter 42. And the title says, Longing for God. When you feel lonely or depressed, meditate on God's kindness and love. Verse 1. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? I think a lot of times many of us ask, Oh, Lord, I long for your presence. I wish I just could just come and see you and talk to you face to face. You know, where can I come to appear before you? And I think that's the plea of a lot of people. Uh, in verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because uh, of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me uh, as if crushing my bones while all day long. They say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. And so when we're in that state of depression and whatnot, and we're wondering where God is, still praise him, still acknowledge him, still know that he is God, because he has his timetable and we don't know what it is. But don't give up hope. Chapter 43 says, uh, hope in the time of discouragement. In the face of discouragement, uh, our only hope is in God. And it says here, um, vindicate me. Actually, I forgot to mention, 40, uh, chapter 43 is just basically a continuation of chapter 42. And so, you know, it's just the same sort of thing. Um, uh, verse 1, vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against the unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person. For, uh, for you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Verse 5, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, and I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Again, I will still praise him, regardless of my lack of understanding of why I'm going through whatever it is you're going through. Let's go into chapter 44. And the title says, Israel's Complaint, a plea uh, for victory by the battle-weary and defeated. When it seems that God... Uh, let you down. Don't despair. Instead, remember God's past deliverance and be confident that he will restore you. And so this is important. Uh, whenever we're going through stuff, um, you, you can build up like a virtual bank account, you know, with regard to all the times that God has stepped in, uh, that you acknowledged and recognized that he saved you from a situation or a circumstance. And that's like depositing money in the bank. And then you're going through something else and, and you're not seeing any results. You're just, all you see, all you feel is suffering and whatnot. You have to wind your mind back, rewind your brain, and remember 
when he did not let you fall or succumb to these other circumstances and start making withdrawals from that bank account. So this is, uh, he deposited before, he can do it again. And so I just need to add these, uh, add these funds to my memory so that um, I don't forget what has been done on my behalf in the past. And so uh, in verse 44, it says, verse 1, excuse me, verse 1, chapter 44, God, we have heard with our ears, our, ancest our ancestors have told us the work you accomplished in their days in days long ago. And so these are people that maybe not have had a direct yet acknowledgement of the things that God has done for them. Verse 2, in order to plant them, you displaced the nations by your hand. In order to settle them, you brought disaster on the peoples. For they did not take the land by the sword. Their arm did not bring them victory. But by your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, because you were favorable towards them. And so here we have the author... Uh, and these are the sons of Korah. This isn't David. These are the sons of Korah. And so here we have the author acknowledging that when the Lord, uh, after the 40 days in the wilderness, and they started to go in and dispossess the land from other people and take over their land, uh, they're acknowledging and recognizing that it wasn't by their strength, but it was by your strength, O Lord, not by the sword of the people. And so <clears throat> they're recognizing they're recognizing um, that the Lord was favorable towards his people. But then we drop down to verse 9. It says, But you have rejected and humiliated us. You do not march out with our armies. You make us retreat from, us, from the foe. And those who hate us have taken plunder for themselves. You hand us over to be eaten like sheep and scatter us among the nations. You sell your people for nothing. You make no profit from selling them. You make us an object of reproach to our neighbors, a source of mockery and ridicule to those around us. You make us uh, a joke among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. My disgrace is before me all day long, and shame has covered my face. Because of the taunts of the uh, scorner and uh, reveler, uh, because of the enemy and avenger. All this has happened to us, but we have not forgotten you or betrayed your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back. Our steps have not strayed from your path. But you have crushed us in the haunt of jackals and have covered us with deep uh, deepness and have covered us with deepness, with deepest darkness and have covered us with deepest darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God and spread out our hands to, uh, to a foreign God, wouldn't God have found this out since he knows the secrets of the heart? Because, because of you, we are being brought to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. So here we have some, some interesting accusations or observations or whatever. So apparently the Lord, um, you know, one of the sons of Korah is, is speaking. is like, you've abandoned us, even though we haven't abandoned you. And he, he's, he's basically questioning God, you know, what, what's going on here? Uh, in verse 23, wake up, Lord. Why are you sleeping? Get up. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide and forget our affliction and oppression? For we have sunk down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up. Help us. Redeem us because of your faithful love. 
And so he's kind of like reminding God, you know, don't you remember? You love us and you're faithful. Your word is faithful. And so don't abandon us. Again, we can never know what the timetable of God is. We have in our mind what the timetable should be. And if things don't happen according to that timetable, then we wonder what the heck is going on. And so, but God doesn't have to explain things to us because he's God. And so he has his reasons. He has his timetables. And what we have to do is have faith that those reasons and timetables are ultimately going to be for the benefit of us all. Let's go on to chapter 45. And this says, A royal wedding song, a poem to a king, possibly Solomon, on the occasion of his wedding. While this psalm is written for a historic occasion, it is also seen as a prophecy about Christ and his bride, the church, who will praise him throughout all generations. And so, let's see. First one. Oh, no, let's drop down. Let's drop down to verse 10. Listen, daughter, pay attention and consider. Forget, the, uh, forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Bow down to him, for he is your Lord. Um, the daughter of Tyre, the wealthy people, will seek your favor with gifts. In her chamber, the, the royal daughter is all glorious, her clothing embroidered with gold in colorful, in colorful garments. She is led to the king. After her, the virgins, her companions, are brought to you. They are led um, in with gladness and, rejoices, and rejoicing. They enter the king's palace. Your sons will succeed your ancestors. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will cause your name to be remembered for all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever. So here we have an analogy going on, a duality, if you will, kind of describing a real wedding, but analogizing it to um, uh, the bridegroom, who is Jesus, and his bride, the church. And so um, it says, listen, daughters, pay attention. Forget your people and your father's house. In other words, you know, forget this thing that we know of as life, because what's, com what's coming is this, is this holy matrimony between Jesus and his people. And, um, and you can't let uh, what we're familiar with in this world uh, obstruct us from eventually attending that wedding feast. And it says, uh, in her chamber, the royal daughter is all glorious, her clothing embroidered with gold. And so this is a description of the church, of what the church should be. You know, the church should be radiant in its beauty. You know, remember, we are the church. People make up the church. And so we should be radiant in our beauty. We should be righteous. We should be filled with justice. We should be um, lacking any sort of hypocrisy. And so our beauty should be... Um, uh, immediately obvious to those who are onlooking. And so it says in colorful garments, she is led to the king. And so the church is led to Jesus in our colorful garments because we are prepared, we are ready. And then it says um, in verse 17, I being God will cause your name to be remembered for all generations. He's talking about his son, Jesus. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. And so in chapter 45, when you're reading this, you have to keep the, the duality of it in mind. And so let's go on to chapter 46. And it says, Guard our, God, our um, refuge. God is always there to help provide refuge, security, and peace. God's power is complete, and his ultimate victory is certain. 
He will not fail to rescue those who love him. Chapter 1. Excuse me. The first one. Why do I keep saying chapter? Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a helper to uh, a helper who always finds, excuse me, let's back up. First one. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into uh, the depths of the sea. Though its water uh, roars and foams uh, and the mountains quake with, with its turmoil. Verse 6. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And so, um, you know, God is our refuge, regardless of what we're going through. We can always turn to him, always turn to him. You know, even when we feel like we're not being heard, we can always turn to him. <clears throat> In chapter 47, it says, uh, God, our king, uh, God is king of the world. All nations of the earth will eventually recognize his lordship. In verse one. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. For the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great king over the whole earth. Verse 5. God ascends among the shouts of joy. Uh, the Lord with the sound of a ram's horn. Verse 7. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is king of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. Uh, God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled with all the people of the God of Abraham, for the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. I know sometimes people question that, but that's what the word says. And we'll talk more about that when we get into Romans uh, in the New Testament. And let's go to chapter 48. And we see Zion exalted. God's presence is our joy, security, and salvation. God is praised as the defender of Jerusalem, the holy city of the Jews. He is also our defender and guide forever. And in verse 1, it says, The Lord is great and highly praised. Uh, in the city of our God, he is his holy mountain. Rising splendidly is the joy of the whole earth, Mount Zion. The summit of Zaphon uh, is the city of the great king. In verse 8, just as we heard, uh, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of armies, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. In verse 12, go around Zion, encircle it, count its towers, note its ramparts, tour its citadels, uh, so that you can tell a future generation, this God, our God forever and ever, he will always lead us. Hallelujah. Let's see. And let's get in one more chapter here. In chapter 49, uh, it says, Misplaced trust in wealth. Trusting in worldly possessions is futile. You can't take possessions with you when you die, and they cannot buy forgiveness from sin. Verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddles with a liar. Verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. They trust in their wealth and boast of their abundant riches. Yet they cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. 
That can't happen. You can't pay God in order to redeem somebody. That's not how it works. Verse 10, for one can see that the wise die. The foolish and stupid also pass away. Uh, Then they leave their wealth to others. This is absolutely true. You know, everybody dies. Everybody dies. And when they die, they take nothing with them. Verse 11, their graves are their graves are their permanent homes, their dwellings from generation to generation, though they have named estates after themselves. How many monuments do we see in the form of buildings or statues or or whatever uh, named after somebody who has since passed away? But they're gone. They're absolutely gone. Even though their names are on these things, they're gone in this life, in this world, in this earth. Verse 16, do not be afraid when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Again, absolute truth. Though he blesses himself during his lifetime, and you are acclaimed when you do well for yourself, he will go uh, to the generation of his ancestors. They will never see the light. So he may have been blessed in this earth. But if he did not acknowledge God, if he does not acknowledge Jesus, you know, he's going to go down to the generation of his ancestors and they will never see the light. In verse 20, mankind with his assets, but without understanding, is like the animals that perish. Doesn't matter what we accumulate. Doesn't matter what we have. Doesn't matter what we think we possess. If we don't have understanding of eternal life, if we don't have an understanding of eternity, if we don't have an understanding of God's plan for mankind, then it's like an animal that perishes. Here today, gone tomorrow, and that's that. That's a sobering thought. We're going to pick it up in chapter 50 tomorrow. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.